We're speaking with renowned investor and author Jim Rogers, who I'm sure needs no introduction. We'll be looking at how he thinks the global economy is doing, get some of his thoughts on frontier markets, the rise of the Asian century, and whether this can lead to greater geopolitical tensions. Mr. Rogers, where do you see the current state of the global debt bubble and financial crisis? Some analysts say that on the next downturn, the Federal Reserve has no more tools left in its toolbox. It has run out of tricks uh, and that we may be getting closer to a reckoning. Uh, Herbert, you, you, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, certain, some truth to what you said, uh, what is going to happen when the next problems arise and the central bank in America, but especially America, panics, uh, they're going to do everything they can. They will cut rates some. I mean, they still have some tools. They can cut some rates. They can, they can do whatever. I mean, they can buy stocks. You know, the Japanese central bank prints money every day and buys bonds and buys ETFs. So there's still things they can do, and they will. They don't know what they're doing. They will panic, and when they panic, they will do everything they can to save the world. The markets will rally for a while, but eventually the markets are going to say, okay, we don't play this game anymore. We know this is not going to work. We know this is a scam, and then we will have a big, bad bear market. I mean, I know people ask you this all the time, but I mean, would you be inclined to guess at, at a time frame or that's just impossible to do? No, no, it's not impossible. Uh, it's been over 10 years since we had a, a serious bear market or economic problems in the U.S. That's the longest in American history. I mean, it doesn't have to. It could last 20 years. It could last 200 years. In fact, the previous head of the central bank in America, her name was Janet Yellen, said we're never going to have financial problems again. We have solved the problem. I'm sorry I laugh. I'm just, just so absurd to hear what, to, hear what to, to repeat what she said. Anyway, she says it's never going to happen again. If you believe her, then you should not listen to me. But my expectation is it would be certainly within a year or two. We're getting closer, if nothing else. We're getting very close. And if we take a look around the world, we see weak economies and flashpoints that could lead to a contagion. For example, Turkey is experiencing serious uh, financial difficulty. And we have Spanish banks such as Bancomer, who has a high percentage of loans given to Turkey. So, you know, if something happens in, Tur uh, in Turkey and then these loans could be affected and then we can see it spread beyond. I mean, what are your thoughts on Turkey uh, or other such countries in, the, um, in dire straits and the threat of a contagion that could detonate this crisis. Well, you're very perceptive. Uh, the way these things always work, Hervier, is they start where we're not watching. In 2007, Iceland went bankrupt. Well, most people never heard of Iceland, much less that it could go bankrupt if they noticed. And nobody paid attention. But then a few months later, uh, Ireland went bankrupt. And then a little while later, Bear Stearns went bankrupt. And then several weeks later, Northern Rock, a very large British bank, went bankrupt. And then a few weeks after that, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. Well, by then, everybody knew there was a problem. I mean, this evolved over several months, as it always does. It always starts where we don't notice, and it builds until it finally makes the evening news. Eventually, everybody knows what's going on. And that's already started. Turkey, Venezuela, Argentina, Latvia went broke, some banks in India. You mentioned a few problems. No, it's already started. But all of these are very small markets, small economies. And so not many people notice or care. 
but it is building towards. That's why I said sometime in the next year or two. I mean, we're it's already started in some places. It's just that it doesn't make the news, so we don't notice. But it's already happening. We're building towards the big collapse. There's a lot of chaos at the moment in the EU with Brexit, and then we have economies that have remained poor uh, since the 2008 crisis, and others like Italy and France, which are the highest holders of debt in Europe. Meanwhile, the EU is torn between America in the West and Russia and China in the East. How do you see the euro and the eurozone doing? Well, when when the economic problems spread, everybody's affected. No, very few people will escape. The, the problems, because when America and China or Japan, a few countries like that have problems, and, you know, Japan's already having problems, China's having some, uh, everybody will be affected. And yes, the thing, some of the things you mentioned were just exacerbated. Brexit, of course, will make it worse, depending on how it works out. You have problems in, in, in Spain. You have problems several places. These will all just make the situation worse when we have the, the crescendo. The U.S. can keep the debt bubble going as long as the world remains on the U.S. dollar reserve. China and others are chipping away at the dollar reserve uh, status, but it seems at the current rate that it's going, uh, it seems the dollar will reign for perhaps uh, years or, or, or decades at this rate unless a serious geopolitical or economic event occurs. What are your thoughts on the dollar? Well, uh, yes, you, you made some good some good points. First, I will tell you, I own a lot of U.S. dollars. Even though the U.S. dollar is a terribly flawed currency, America is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world now. Not just the largest debtor nation in the world, but the largest debtor nation in world history. And the debts are going up very fast every year. So, no, the dollar is a very unsound currency. So you will probably say, why do you own it? And I own it because during times of turmoil, people look for a safe haven. People think that U.S. dollar is a safe haven. Uh, it's not, but since people think it is, it's when, when things get worse, more and more people will buy the dollar. It will get overpriced. It might even turn into a bubble. I hope that if it turns into a bubble, I'm smart enough to get out because eventually in, that, in the next, next time, things are going to be so bad. If people are going to question everything, well, they always do in bear markets, but especially the next one. And as you point out, there are all coming alternatives. Many countries are trying to find an alternative or at least a competitor to the U.S. dollar. The Chinese, the Russians, the Persians, you know, a few people are trying to develop and it's happening. I mean, these things don't happen overnight. It took many years for the U.S. dollar to replace the pound sterling. And every time you have this kind of major shift, it takes a long time. But it is in the process of happening. And since you mentioned uh, alternatives, I'll jump ahead to another question. How do you see precious metals faring? Uh, you know, gold might be an alternative. What do you make of gold becoming recently a tier one asset under Basel III and allowing central banks to count gold as equivalent to cash? Well, I, I own gold, but haven't bought any serious gold since 2010. Um, I don't know that it, it, it might go that far, you know, in times of desperation. And since there are not many alternatives, the only serious alternative right now is the uh, renminbi. But it's not even convertible at the moment. So it's absurd to talk about the renminbi as placing the, replacing the dollar or even being a serious competitor. 
So they might uh, grasp for gold or, or let it turn into a, a serious asset uh, for the you know accounting purposes. Uh, I, I, I doubt it, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, if that happens, obviously the price of gold will go a lot higher. My, my plan is that I told you the dollar is going to get overpriced, might be a bubble. Uh, my plan is to sell my dollars and perhaps, I mean, gold often goes down when the dollar is that strong. Perhaps put my money into dollars. The renminbi might be convertible by then. If so, I might put it in renminbi. But uh, it's an interesting proposition because there are people who will be shouting to use gold uh, when this kind of uh, turmoil comes. So perhaps it will get a higher status again. And what are your thoughts on investing in frontier markets? Uh, in, an, in our email exchange, you told me you were keen on Kazakhstan. That's where I am currently uh, living. Uh, and, you know, the president Nazarbayev just last week stepped down after 30 years in power. And so people are just kind of wondering what's, what's going to happen. And what, what is it about Kazakhstan and countries like it that you find uh, interesting and important? Well, uh, uh, there's a magazine in the U.S. called Time Magazine. 30 years or so ago, they called me the Indiana Jones of, of finance because I've been investing what you call frontier markets for decades, probably before you were born. Um, so I'm keen. The reason I said I'm keen, uh, two or three reasons to be keen on Kazakhstan now. One is the price of oil is probably making a bottom. Uh, that will certainly help Kazakhstan. Two, the government has changed uh, after decades. Uh, it, who did he? Who did he, who's who's the replacement? Did he put his daughter in as the replacement? Well, I mean, he put the as the interim president, the head of the Senate, the Tokayev, and then a lot of people are thinking that Dariga, his um, daughter, will next year is a very highly likely to become president. Okay, so he hasn't. That's what I thought. There has been no permanent announcement yet. Well. Change is often good. Sometimes it can be bad. Sometimes you have change and it gets worse. But uh, I, I, the, the few people I know in Kazakhstan uh, connected know that the, his grandson, for instance, knows there are different ways to do things, which means his mother must know there are different ways to do things, too. So it's probably good for Kazakhstan. The more Kazakhstan opens up, especially with the price of oil bottoming and you have a very successful neighbor, uh, you know, to your east. So, yeah, I, I'm optimistic about the future of Kazakhstan. I don't own any Kazakh stocks at the moment, but I keep meaning to turn around and, and buy some. I actually think I've opened an account. I'll have to ask my assistant if we ever got that account open. There, there are plenty of opinions on China these days, bullish and bearish, but recently the Financial Times did an analysis and found that the Asian economies will be larger than the rest of the world combined in 2020 next year for the first time since the 19th century. How do you see China and the Asian century? Well, China is going to be the next great country in the world. There's, there's little, in, in my mind, there's little question about that. Uh, I mean, these things don't happen overnight. Well, they've been happening for 40 years, the rise of China. Uh, that does not mean there won't be setbacks. You know, America became the most successful country in the 20th century, but along the way, we had a horrible civil war. We had uh, very little rule of law. We had 15 depressions with a D. We had massacres in the streets. And you could buy and sell congressmen. Well, you can still buy and sell congressmen in America, but they were very cheap 100 years ago. So America had many problems, 
but became very successful. China's going to have certainly problems. China's got too much debt at the moment. Uh, you're going to see bankruptcies in China, which are going to surprise a lot of people, including me, and I just told you it's going to happen. Uh, there will be setbacks, but China is going to be the most important country in the 21st century. That means many Asian countries will benefit, just as Canada, for instance, benefited from America. So, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about Asia. Do you have any fear regarding China's technocratic and authoritarian or totalitarian bent, such as we've seen with the social credit scores that have apparently, you know, blocked millions of Chinese from taking uh train rides uh, or, or pl buying plane tickets? Well, the, the more open an economy and a society is, the better it is. Uh, history's shown that many, many times. So the things you are describing probably are not good for China in the long run. But usually, I mean, you can go back in American history and you see we had lots of military governments in the 19th century as we were rising. Uh, there was a little rule of law, as I said before. Uh, so, yes, a lot of the things that happen in China are not great, but in the long run, in my view, China is going to continue to open. It may close for a while, close some for a while, but in the end, there are too many people in China who've seen the outside world now. It's hard to lie to people over and over. You can lie to people all you want, but eventually they know and they want more and more and open and open and it will happen. How do you view the current dynamics and somewhat erratic behavior of the U.S. empire around the world, whether it's in the Middle East or uh, the economic trade war with China or now Venezuela in South America? Well, it's a very good question. Uh, you're not the only one that notices that America has become um, more and more erratic, but, but that's been going on for decades. Uh, America's had a lot of wars in the last few decades. Most countries have not. But America is, is perpetually, not perpetually, but frequently going to war uh, with someone over something. And that is not good for, for America. America is getting very overextended. America has troops in over 100 countries around the world. Gigantic uh, economic deficits developing. Uh, America is overextended military, militarily, polit geopolitically, etc. Eventually, this has always led to a problem and a crisis, or either a major crisis or a semi-crisis. And America's moving in that direction. We can't go to war with everybody in the world, certainly not all at once. And how do you see the situation uh, economically, uh, politically, internally in America? President Trump and the media say the economy is doing great, the stock market is up, new jobs uh, have been created. But it seems at the same time, You know, one of the reasons I, I decided to permanently leave the U.S. kind of like yourself uh, about over a decade ago. But, and, and, you know, one of the reasons um, the cost of living now is going up, taxes are going up, inflation and political divisions seem to be leading to some kind of soft civil war. And it seems civil liberties are eroding. So what do you make of the internal situation? Well, you, you ask about Mr. Trump. Uh, it's very difficult to dislodge a, a sitting American president. It's happened in American history, but very, very rarely, because a sitting, a seated president can spend money where he wants to. If he needs votes in a state or a part of a state, he can spend money. He can send people there to give incentives. So historically, it's very difficult to get rid of a president in power. They can always start wars if they have to, to get support. 
So I would not bet against Mr. Trump, not yet anyway, uh, in 2020. But everything else you said is correct. I mean, as I said, America's getting more and more overextended in every way. And I mean, to repeat, every country in history that's gotten itself into this kind of situation has faced a crisis and or a semi-crisis, and America will too. Okay, my, my last question before I give you the last word. You know, last year I read your book, uh, Street Smarts, and uh, I couldn't put it down. I, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, my first degree was in history, and you said that history and philosophy were very important to you, uh, and that philosophy taught you to be, in a way, a critical thinker or, or, or a contrarian in some regards, to think outside the box, and how history allowed you to see trends and, and cycles from which you could extrapolate uh, the future. And it seems education and schooling, schooling today inhibit critical thought. And on top of that, we're so propagandized by media and governments. So, you know, could you comment a little bit about uh, your experience and how people can, can learn from it? Yes, it's very, very difficult uh, to be able to think for yourself. Now, I try to teach my daughters every day to be independent and try to look at many sources of information and try to come to your own conclusion. It's hard. Everything is full of propaganda now, either Russian, American propaganda, somebody's propaganda is everywhere. So you have to look at different sources in order to figure out what's really going on. And it's getting more and more difficult to think uh, independent. You said before about China starting to close off in some areas. Uh, yes. When I was at university, I did study history. History will teach you that no matter what you think is, is the case, it's not going to change. History is always changing. No matter what you think is true in any year, it's not going to be true in 15 years. I mean, pick 1900. 15 years later, everything had changed. 1915. 15 years later, everything had changed. So you can pick any year in history you want, and you will see that, my goodness, everything is going to be different. So whatever you think is true, don't bet too much on it unless you're really very smart because it's going to change. And history will teach you. History will teach you a lot of things. And philosophy will teach you the thing. Now, when I was at university, I studied philosophy. I was not very good at it when I was there. But a few months, a years later, I said, oh, now I understand. Now I see what they mean. You have to think around corners. You have to think differently. So, yes, uh, I had a, I, I tell students, I tell my children about history and philosophy, and I, I hope everybody will at least consider it because it can be good for you. But thinking for yourself is always difficult, no matter at any time in history, no matter where you are. And it's certainly very difficult now because we all get fed so much propaganda, and it's easy to feed people propaganda, easier now because of the internet, certainly TV, but especially the internet now. So it's easy for governments to tell us what they want and what we're supposed to believe. Goebbels, the, uh, the German propagandist, uh, great German propagandist, I guess in, in terms of that he was successful at what he did. I mean, I'm not saying he was a good man. He wasn't. But he said repeatedly, if you tell people over and over and over what you want them to believe, they will believe it. And it's true. And that's what's happening now uh, in nearly well, most governments in the world, uh, including whichever government is yours and certainly mine in the U.S. So it's harder and harder. Uh, and so that leads to periods of closing off. It has throughout history. But eventually, countries, people, societies will open again and 
progress will come back. But don't think there aren't problems along the way. History also shows you there are constant problems, no matter what and where. There are always problems, always wars, always recessions. No, it, life is not always good. And final last word from you. Is there anything else on the geopolitical or economic front that, you know, that's on your mind these days that I haven't mentioned? Well, uh, be careful. As I explained, we're going to have the worst economic times in my lifetime. You know, in 2008, we had a problem because of too much debt. Well, since then, the debt everywhere has skyrocketed all over the world. So the next time around, <laughs> when we have a problem, it's going to be a mess. Um, and it's going to be exacerbated by some of the trends we've discussed. And others will rise, too, that we haven't even thought about yet. So be careful. Be very careful. A lot of people aren't going to survive the next uh, economic collapse. I hope I survive. I hope everybody listening to you survives, but it's not going to be fun. All right, Mr. Rogers, it was great talking to you. I absolutely recommend people go uh, out and read your books. I found them uh, more enlightening than uh, a lot of what I was taught in school. So thanks again. Oh, very good. A lot of what I taught in school, I turned, it turned out not to be correct either. So well done. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.